Uh, we're going to be turning to Luke chapter 5, all right? So continuing our series in Luke. Uh, if you want to get your Bibles ready, there's some on these tables around you if you need one. Luke chapter 5, we're going to be reading out of verses 17 through 26. And while you're turning there, I heard today is, uh, what is it, uh, Super Bowl or something? Or something? A day after Groundhog's Day? None of you are excited about this because either you don't watch or care for football or it's because the Patriots are playing again, right? There's two teams playing today. It's the Patriots and anybody else, please, win but the Patriots, right? I don't even know who the other, it's the Rams, I think. So uh, I remember a couple years ago when the Patriots were in the Super Bowl again, uh, I was actually flying into Boston. And so we were flying into Boston, me and a friend of, of mine, that we were going to speak at a couple schools there in the Boston and Connecticut area. And so we're flying into Boston during the Super Bowl, and it should have been over by the time our plane landed. And so we get off the plane, and... It was like ghost town in the airport, and we go to the, the little Hertz rental car place to get our car, and nobody will come to the counter to serve us. We're like, what is going on? And it turns out it went into overtime, and everybody was just, they shut down everything in that town to finish watching the Super Bowl. And so we had a little Super Bowl party right there in the rental car place. We just had to sit there and wait until the game ended because they weren't going to serve us until then. Uh, and so we got the car finally and they gave us this little Ford Fiesta. And we were there in February and it was snowing. Uh, and they had no other cars for us to upgrade on. And there was no like chains or anything to put on the wheels. But we're like, yeah, it's, not, it's not that bad. Like it's just little snowflakes. We'll be fine. So we took the car and we were fine for the first part of the week. And on the last day, we had to go to this school that was kind of like up in the mountains somewhere. And it was about two hours from where we were staying and where all the other schools were we were working in. And so we drove all the way and it was just a snowstorm coming down on us. And so we were driving super carefully, cautiously, but we're like, we have to make it to the school because if we don't get a paycheck from this school, <laughs> then actually we lost money on this trip. Like, we had to hit a certain amount of schools to cover all of the costs for the trip, and we would have lost money if we didn't do this last school on that last day. So, like, we're, we're getting there. I don't care what happens. And so we're driving as careful as we can, this little Ford Fiesta. Two-hour drive turned into three hours. And we got up, and we realized, oh, we have to, like, go up this mountain to get to this little school. It was a little boarding school. And so we're driving up this mountain, and it's just, like, pouring down snow on us now. It's just falling everywhere. And we get two miles from the school, and we get stuck in the snow. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm not walking two miles in the snow. Plus, we had all this equipment we had to take with us. So I'm like, I'm going to dig us out of here. I got this. Don't worry. And so I get, we have nothing to dig with. But there was, because it's, it's back east and it gets icy and stuff, there's this little window scraper that they put in there. And so... I had this little tiny window scraper. It's like the size of like a little a putty knife, you know, like uh, if you know what that is. And so I get out there, and it's flimsy, and I'm digging snow out. The snow had covered our entire back tires. And I'm digging snow out with this little tiny scoop, and it's not really going anywhere. And so finally, after a while, I'm out there about 45 minutes digging snow out. Uh, 
And my friend kind of helped me a little bit too. And after a while I said, uh, there's a house like up there. I'm going to go up to that house and see if they have a shovel I can borrow. And it was a good hike. So I had to hike up there for a little bit. And I'm knocking on the door and there's nobody home. And then I look down and I see that my friend had gotten the car unstuck and he's driving. And I'm like, oh yes, awesome. But I knew if he stopped in the snow, we'd get stuck again. So I'm like, just keep going. I'm yelling. I'm like, just keep going and I'll meet you down there. Uh, And so he takes off and I'm just like, Charging through the snow, I'm like, this is so good. And I get down and I make the turn where he did and I don't see him. And I could see down this mountain for like a long ways and I don't see him. Turns out he just kept going. (laughs) And he didn't think like he could stop anywhere until he got back to the main road on the highway, which was about five miles away from where it was. And so now I'm like, just, I I just got to keep walking. I got to keep going this way. I don't know what else to do. Our cell phones aren't working where we were. There was no reception. And it was about another 45 minutes before someone who worked at the school came in a truck and finally picked me up. And no joke, this is not an exaggeration, I had icicles literally hanging from my beard by the time I got into his car. It was a terrible, terrible experience. We got to the school. It was already like two hours past the scheduled time. uh, But they like gave us some coffee, and we sat there, and we thought out a little bit, and we still did the presentation, and it worked out. Uh, but we were like, we have to get there no matter what happens, because <laughs> otherwise we're going home and we're losing money, and we can't do that. Uh, but also, it ended up being a really great experience, just a time where we got to minister to a lot of the students and the staff there. It was really cool. I share that because today, this morning, we're looking at a story in Luke 5, where there's a group of friends that are doing everything they can to get somewhere, because they know it's going to be worth it. The difference is, uh, those friends didn't leave somebody behind. Like, they actually did everything they can to dig with him, uh, instead of just driving off without him. So, it's a little bit of a different story, but we're going to look at that in Luke 5, verses 17 through 26. If you were with us last week, you know that we also, in uh, Luke chapter 4, we looked at Jesus standing up in the synagogue, in the temple, and and he reads from Isaiah, and he has this, like, mic drop moment, and he basically just really ticks off a lot of the religious people there. Uh, And so I want to catch you up. Like I said before, we're doing snapshots in each chapter of Luke, where we don't typically do that. Normally, we go through the entire book. Um, And so I want to catch you up just briefly what we've missed between that moment and where we are right now in Luke 5:17. And so what happened after that is Jesus goes out and he he does a lot of amazing stuff basically. He goes out and he he sends a demon out of a man who was possessed. He he casts this spirit out of that man who was being oppressed by this spirit, uh, basically trying to turn this person into something less than human. Right? The, the image bearer of God that he was designed to be. And so Jesus casts that demon out. Uh, from there he goes and he starts healing people in this place called Capernaum. There's people who are sick and they're being brought to Jesus and he's healing them. So the, their sickness is leaving their body and they're becoming well again. It's amazing. Nobody else seemed to have the power to do this kind of stuff. Then you get at the beginning of chapter 5 this moment where Jesus calls his first three disciples to come and start following him. Uh, Three men by the name of Peter, James, and John. They're fishing. Jesus does this amazing, miraculous thing while they're out there on the boat, and and basically they just get way more fish than they caught the entire day, probably than they caught the entire year. And he's like, hey, come follow me. 
I got something even better than that for you. Uh, and so he gets these people to start following him. And Jesus' name is growing. And people are hearing about him. And they're all being amazed at these things that this Jesus is doing. And so he's, from there, he's out and about. And uh, there's a man who comes to him. A man who has leprosy. And leprosy, there's still modern-day lepers, and so you can look this up. Um, but especially back then, they didn't have ways to treat them really at all. Uh, and so what would happen is they would start to get these sores on their skin, and then those sores would start to open up. And then they would turn into these deep wounds and gashes. And there was really no way to treat it. Uh, and so they would just have to bandage and cover it up. And then after a while, it would do some nerve damage to their body, and so they couldn't feel things, and skin would start falling off. And there would even be times where parts of their body would just fall off, fingers, toes, even whole limbs. And what people thought during that time is that this would be highly, highly contagious. So they're very unclean. You cannot be near them. You certainly can't touch them because you'll catch what they got. And what they also thought at the time was, you must have this terrible, terrible thing on your body because of some terrible, terrible thing that you've done. Like, you, you must have sinned greatly against God for him to do this to you and inflict you with such pain and torture. And so these people were outcasts in society. And when they, when they came anywhere near town, they would have to cover themselves, their faces, and they would have to call out, unclean, unclean, so that people knew, stay away, don't get anywhere near them. And so sometimes people would yell and curse at them because they didn't want them anywhere near them and their family, right? Uh, sometimes even throwing rocks at them just to keep them away. But you definitely do not want to touch them. And this man comes to Jesus and he says this. He says, Lord, if you are willing, this is verse 12 of chapter 5, you can make me clean. He acknowledges first who Jesus is. You are Lord I serve you, I worship you. I know that you are able to make me clean. If you're willing to, I'm asking you to do it. What a great posture to have, right? What a great posture. Not just a, uh, coming in like, uh, sometimes I feel like, you know, when I, when I pray, Lord, if you're willing, I've had people tell me before, like, that's almost like a cop out. Like, you need to like go in with boldness. God's gonna do this for you. Like, I don't demand anything from God. He's God. But what I do know, it's not a cop-out because I have this great faith, and I'm working on it like this leper. He had this great faith. Jesus certainly can do this. He is able to. He is Lord over all things. And he's still going to be Lord even if he chooses not to do it. But if you're willing, would you do this for me? And so Jesus does. Not only does Jesus heal him with a word, but Jesus reaches out and he touches this man. This man that nobody wanted to be anywhere near. Jesus touches him. This infected man who could pass on his leprosy, they thought. It, it's so contagious, they thought. Jesus knows. Jesus is Lord over all things, including the body. He touches him. He heals him. Like, this is mind-blowing to people seeing this. And word starts spreading. And so Jesus is becoming a celebrity, and then we're told he goes home after this. So he goes home, and we don't know which house he's in. This could be, some people believe he's actually in uh, his own family's home when this next story takes place. 
Uh, some theologians think that's probably one of his disciples. We really don't know. But he's somewhere familiar. He's in a house. And this is what we find that happens next. So verse 17. On one of those days while he, that's Jesus, was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then some men came, carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. But since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd set before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. And then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Immediately, he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. And then everyone around was astounded, and they were giving glory to God, and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. This is God's word. Father, we pray that you would Open up our hearts, our minds, our ears to receive your word. God, that we would be truly transformed by it in the power of your spirit. Father, we ask that you would set a guard over my mouth, that nothing that is unclean, nothing that is not of you would escape from my lips, uh, but that I, in the power of your spirit, that I too would be transformed and I would boldly preach your word for your glory and the good of those who love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so imagine this, that there's this celebrity in town. He's a healer. Like, people have been sick, and now they're well. People have had terrible diseases, and now they're just miraculously gone. Uh, people have been possessed by demons. I don't know about you guys. I've never seen anything like that. Uh, but I imagine it's a pretty crazy, scary thing to see, right? And this guy, this Jesus, is just driving them away. He's, he's basically coming in and undoing all the bad things. And he's making things good again. And so you hear about this, right? You hear that this man is in town. He must be someone special. Someone may be anointed by God. Like God has given him some kind of authority or power. And you have a friend. You have a friend who's been paralyzed for a long time. This friend has been mistreated by the community. People believe like he probably did something wrong in order for this to happen to him as well. So God's favor, God's love is not on him. And in fact, it's cost you a little bit to probably be his friend, to associate with this person. But you know, he's paralyzed. He can't do anything on his own. And if I don't help him, who will? And so there's a group of you. There's, there's four friends that come around this person and just they take care of him. And you hear that this guy, Jesus, is going around and he's healing people who everyone else thought also, no, God must not love them. 
God must not care about them. Look at what he let happen in their lives. Suddenly this man of God is coming and healing them. Maybe, maybe there's a different story, right? Maybe we need to get our friend to this guy, Jesus. And you hear he's in town, you hear he's at this one house, and so, great, let's pick him up. All four of us, you grab one corner, I'll grab the other corner, and we're going to carry him, and we're going to go to this house. And we're going to see Jesus. And you get there, and it's just a massive crowd. It's like Disneyland crowds, right? Like, you can't, people are shoulder to shoulder, people are trying to peer in, people are trying to listen over other people, because inside the house, too, it is packed. And there's no way you can get there. Imagine what you might feel in that moment. Maybe a little bit of despair, a little bit of a letdown. Man, this was a shot. This was our hope. Imagine if you're the, the guy in the stretcher. Like, this is it. They're telling me there's someone who can help me. They're taking me to them. Hmm. There's no way we're going to get in, guys. Hey, thanks for trying. I appreciate it. Let's go back. Let's go home. But they don't give up. They don't quit right then, right? They get this idea. In houses at that time, there was usually an outdoor staircase up to the roof. And so they get this idea, well, if we can't go in this way, what if we drop in from the top? I think this is probably where Mission Impossible got their scene, of like Tom Cruise dropping down through the ceiling. So they go up and they carry him up to the roof and they literally start, Mark 2 tells this story in a little more depth that they start tearing the roof tiles apart. They start breaking this roof apart. This isn't their home. Like, this is pretty outrageous. And so finally they get it open enough and they're like, we got some rope. I don't know where the rope came from, but they had rope. And they're like, let's lower him down through the ceiling. Let's create a little pulley system and we're going to lower him down right in front of Jesus and then Jesus will see him. We've broken through the crowd and surely he's going to do something then, right? And so they do this thing and it's amazing and they start lowering their friend down and who knows what he's thinking that moment like, uh, are, are we going to get in trouble for this? I don't know, but this is amazing. Wow, what a fun ride. Like, it's a little bit of a roller coaster. But I'm seeing Jesus now and then he gets down there and Jesus looks at them. I mean, imagine like he's in there, he's teaching. People are listening to him. All of a sudden, like, there's debris starts falling down from the ceiling, you know? And people are like, what's going on? And all of a sudden, this guy is being lowered down in front of him. And so Jesus looks at the man. He looks at them up there. And he says, because of their faith, let me read this. He looks at them. It says in verse 20, seeing their faith. So not just the man on the stretcher, but his friends who had to get him there because he couldn't on his own. Seeing their faith, he looks at him and he says, friend. In Mark too, actually he, the word he uses is son. But he says, friend. And they're thinking, this is it. He's going to heal him. The way he did that leper, the way he did the man with the demon in him, the way he did all those sick people, he's going to heal him right here. And Jesus says, friend, I forgive you. And they're like, what? Is that it? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of imposing that on them. That's probably what they were thinking though, right? Like, 
Seriously? We just did all that work? I forgive you. Imagine if it was Jesus' family home. Like, they're probably, I forgive you. You just tore my roof up. It's cool. I forgive you. Like, what are they thinking right now? You know, we, we, that's great. His sins are forgiven. Awesome. Cool. But we kind of have something more pressing going on here. Like, the dude needs to walk. He needs to be able to get up. He, he, he needs to be healed, Jesus. And so there's this shocking thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth. Friend, your sins are forgiven. That's not why we came, right? Imagine what is going through this guy's head. Okay, my, my sins are forgiven. What does that mean? What about this? Imagine what's going through his, the minds of his friends. But we, we aren't told what they think. We aren't told what's going on in their thoughts. We aren't told how they're responding. I mean, maybe the man was just awesome. Like, that's, that's amazing. Maybe he did know what that meant. We don't know. But we do know what another group of people were thinking. We know because Scripture tells us that Jesus perceived what was in their thoughts. And again, in Mark 2, actually the language is Jesus heard in his spirit what they were thinking. That's pretty incredible, right? Like, would you want to hang out with someone like that who just like, I know what you're thinking right now, Jeremy. Why'd you say that? You know, like, that would be a little like, intimidating, I think. And so Jesus knows what's going on in their head and he addresses it. And what are they thinking? Verse 21, sorry, 22. No, yeah, 21. The scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They're starting to get a little angry here. Like, this guy comes through the roof and Jesus says, you're forgiven. All your sins are forgiven. And they start getting angry. Why do you guys think they're angry at this point? What are some thoughts? Yeah, they said, who can forgive sins but God, right? So he's claiming to be equal with God. Yeah, if he's claiming to be God, he's certainly also making this claim implicitly that he's greater than they are, and they're the religious leaders of the day. Like, people are supposed to listen to them, right? Yeah. Any other thoughts on that? I think those are both absolutely 100% right. You see, in that time, too, there was this system. There was a process to these things, Jesus. Don't you understand? There's like a structure set up for this. Uh, God gave it to us a long time ago. There's sacrificial stuff that needs to take place. There's uh, animals that need to be slaughtered and blood that needs to be spilled. There's a temple that you need to go to and priests that need to receive that sacrificial offering. And the priest then, as a representative of God, could let you know that because of this sacrifice, if it's an acceptable one, this is forgiven of you for now. Until you go and do something else and then you gotta go through the whole process again, right? And so there's a system of this, Jesus, and it kind of relies on us. Like, we're the, we're the people in charge here. Who do you think you are? 
who do you think you are? Only God can forgive sins, and he's given us a system for that. And so Jesus is completely undermining not just their authority as religious leaders, but he's undermining their whole way of life for the Jewish people that is rooted in centuries of history given to them by God. So with this understanding, we could start to maybe grasp a little bit about why all these religious leaders were so angry at Jesus during his day. Like he was completely changing around their way of life and what they thought was the best way to serve God. Like the Pharisees, I know they get a bad rap all the time, but I believe it started with good intentions. We want to follow the scriptures. We want to follow what God has said, and we want other people to follow it too. You know, because they're humans and they're selfish at their core like all of us. Over time, that starts to get twisted and distorted. And hey, the best way to follow these rules that have been given to Moses and to us is uh, let's, let's add some other additional rules onto it so that we don't even get there. Like we need a buffer system basically, right? So let's put all these other rules here too. And if people aren't following them, then they need to be shamed and they need to be sent away, right? And maybe... Wow, you know what? They're, they're bringing these sacrifices to the temple, to us. This is pretty cool. Like, we're kind of on top here, you know? And this starts going to their head. And, and then what starts happening and developing over time is they start using this system to oppress everybody else and to make money power for themselves. And so the whole thing has become corrupt. And it was never intended to be that way. The original sacrificial system was set up by God, yes, but as a symbol, as a foretaste, as something pointing forward to what would come one day, the once and for all sacrifice for these people, for all sins. And Jesus makes this claim right here, friend, your sins, all sins are forgiven. There's no sacrifice made yet. So they're angry. And I think what's amazing here is Jesus is making this claim. I, I have the authority to do this. I want you to turn with me real quick to Colossians chapter 1. And this is written much later after Jesus' time of walking on earth by a man named Paul who was very upset by the way Jesus came in and turned the whole system upside down. Uh, but he had an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus completely changed his heart and changed who he was, and he starts following him. And in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20, Paul wrote this about Jesus. He says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is a pretty incredible claim made about a man who walked on this earth, 
what he's saying is this, that Jesus, Jesus came and lived the life of humanity for a reason. Because he is God himself who brought all of this into being. Everything in heaven and on earth, everything that you can see and that you can't see is all his. It all belongs to him. He made it all. He made it for him. And it was made through him. And he loves it and he cares for it. And something has gone terribly wrong in all of it. Something has gone completely backward and upside down. People are getting sick. This wasn't supposed to happen. People are are dying. That's not how they were created. Relationships are getting broken. That was never meant to be. People are being shamed by other people. Animals even, who people were called to care for, are not being cared for well. They're being used and abused inappropriately. The earth itself is crying out with groans of pain. This is not the way it was supposed to be. And there's this man who comes and enters into all of it and starts undoing everything that went wrong. Healing the sick. As as we saw him say from Isaiah last week, preaching good news to the poor, to the oppressed, to those who have been shamed by their community. We're even going to see him raise people from the dead as we continue in Luke. Undoing all of these things. In a sense, these men could only break through the roof and bring their friend down to Jesus because God himself had already broken through the heavens and come down to us. Jesus was there in the flesh among the people. And he wasn't just around the important, rich, wealthy people, but he was around the sick, the broken, the poor, the sinners. And he came and he touched the people that no one wanted to touch. And he sat down and had meals with the people that no one wanted to associate with. And he taught the people who were being taught something completely different and being oppressed by a false gospel. He brought good news. The kingdom is here. The kingdom where everything's supposed to flourish. The kingdom where life takes place, not death. It's here, and I'm going to give you a taste of it right here and right now. This is what Jesus is doing. And people are amazed, but others are very, very upset by it. What has been your experience when the good news has been shared with you? Is it always received with amazement? Is there times where maybe it's grown old and stale? Maybe there might even be times where you don't even want to hear it. Like, it, it angers you. You're, you're coming and telling me good news, sins are forgiven, Jesus' kingdom is here, glory to God, but you don't know what I'm going through right now. You don't know what I'm suffering with. Thanks, Jesus, my sins are forgiven. I can't walk, right? 
What does that mean? Who are you to say that to me even? And what difference does it make right here and now in my life? Has that ever been your response? If I'm honest with you guys, it's been mine at times. And in a sense, what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, listen, yeah, I, I know you can't walk. It wasn't supposed to be that way. But that's the symptom. There's something much deeper going on here. There's, there's another issue at hand that has caused this to grow. Your sins are forgiven now. That's the real issue. And listen, it's not the misunderstanding that a lot of people had at that time that like, oh, if, if this guy can't walk, he must have done something wrong, right? Jesus isn't saying that this man's own personal individual sins directly caused him to not be able to walk. Not necessarily. What he's saying is that there is sin pervasive in all the world, and yes, you are a part of it. But the sin that has been brought into this world, the rebellion against God the creator of life, the one who sustains life, when you rebel against him and turn away from him, everything starts breaking down and decaying. And so the earth, it becomes harder and harder and harder to yield good crops and food out of it over time. I think we're seeing that now, right? Like, why does everyone have a gluten intolerance now? The people, like their bodies start decaying. And you see throughout scripture as time goes on, Lifespans are shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. Relationships are getting more and more broken and broken and something is wrong. And Jesus is saying, there's a rebellion against God who created all this to be good. That's the problem. And I've come to address that. And when I do, all these other things will be addressed too. Earlier this week, it was on a Friday on Fridays, Bethany and I, we get to go into a charter school and we teach uh, like a leadership class to some high school students. And it's basically what we do, some of you are familiar with our work with Cultivate. It's kind of the, the cohort we do with Cultivate kids and they let us come in and do it at this charter school as an elective class. And we have two classes we do, like a leadership 101 and a 201. We're trying to come up with more creative names for those classes. but. The first class, uh, this particular day, only one kid showed up. And so one young man, he's 18 years old, and he's trying to finish high school. He's the only kid there, and it was my first time meeting him. I wasn't there the week before when Bethany had him. Uh, and so he comes in, and we had this whole thing planned for what we are going to do with this class on leadership development, right? And like helping to prepare you uh, for life and for being a good citizen and a good influence on other people. He comes in, and we're just kind of stalling, waiting for more kids to show up, and we're just asking him questions about what's going on in life right now. And what we uncover is that this young man has to, he's been living with his girlfriend in an apartment, and they just broke up, and she's moved out, and he can't afford the apartment on his own, and so he has to leave on Tuesday, and he doesn't know where he's going to go. And he lived, he's from California, his mom's there, and came here to live with his dad and his stepmom. That did not go well, and so he had to leave there, and now he's in this apartment, and he can't afford it on his own, and so he's looking for uh, something else to do. And so we start kind of going through things with him and working through things and realizing, like, the amount of money he's making is not going to afford an apartment anywhere. Um, 
we're, we're looking at like, okay, so what, what else do you, he, he couldn't even go get approved for an apartment because he doesn't have a driver's license and a valid ID. He doesn't have a driver's license because he doesn't have a birth certificate to go and have a proof of identity as he goes through that process. He doesn't have a birth certificate because his mom in California isn't going through the steps to help him get that. Uh, and he's just completely in over his head. He doesn't know what to do. And we're realizing in that moment, like, okay, that's great. Let's, let's, uh, we're going to talk about leadership now, okay? Would that be helpful? Like, of course not, right? This kid had a much greater, deeper need. Uh, psychologists talk about this too. Like, you can't go in and learn as a student when your belly's empty. Like, you aren't getting fed. You have no food at home. Right? Like, there's, these, there's this level, a hierarchy of needs, and if your most basic needs are not met, then you can't address the next steps after that. And so we had to kind of walk this kid through that stuff first. And in a sense, Jesus is saying, yeah, I, I know you can't walk. That's not your real problem. We'll get to that. There's something else going on first. Right? I remember when I was in seventh grade, I was getting headaches and I just wanted some Tylenol, the doctor handed me glasses. Like, that's, this is the real reason why you're having headaches, right? Because you can't see and your eyes are straining all the time. You, you think it's one thing, you think this is your problem over here, but you get a good physician to take a look. And they'll, do, they'll diagnose the real problem and help you with the real problem. And you're going to find these other things start to get taken care of with that. So Jesus comes in and he says, your sins are forgiven. And everyone gets mad. Well, all the religious people get mad. It's always the religious people, right? It's always the religious people. So they start getting mad. <laughs> he reads their minds and he says this in verse 22. Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, get up and walk? What do you guys think? Which one would be easier? Will, your sins are forgiven. Or, Will, go fly. Like, just flap your arms and fly. Or, like, something, he can already walk, so I did go with something else. What do you think is the answer? If you're there with Jesus in this moment, which is easier, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Any thoughts? Mary Kate? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, did you guys all hear that? At least at face value, it seems easier to say your sins are forgiven. Like you're not going to see necessarily the effect of that. Uh, there's no actual proof, right? But get up and walk, like you're going to see that. So that seems a little harder. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's kind of what Jesus is getting at with these guys. Like, look, wouldn't you be more amazed if I just, like, did the thing you thought I was here to do? Like, everyone's crowding around this house because they heard that I'm healing people. It's like when you go to a concert to see your favorite band, and they're playing all this new stuff you don't care about. And you're like, no, 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 just play that song, you know? Like, Jesus, just do the thing we came to see you do. Just heal them. 
he's like, yeah, you think that that's more miraculous. You think that's more amazing. You think that that's harder to do. I don't think Jesus is necessarily saying that healing this man and getting him to get up and walk is easier than forgiving his sins. That's not what he's saying. He says, which is easier to say, right? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. But what we're going to continue to find as we move through Luke is that to actually do the work of that forgiveness comes at a much greater cost than to tell this man to get up and walk. Because there was a sacrificial system needed. There is something that needs to be done about this man's sins. He can't just say, your sins are forgiven. In order to say your sins are forgiven, he's got to back that up. He's got to do something to actually forgive those sins. He's got to do something to cover the cost of those sins. The sacrificial system was still in place. And Jesus didn't come to abolish all that. I know I was using language earlier. I was trying to throw you guys off. He's just kind of flipping things around and undoing everything that they thought. But no, no, no. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill them, right? So that sacrificial system is there. God set it in place, and Jesus had a plan to fulfill that for this man and for the leper that he saw a little bit before that and for the people he healed a little bit before that and for all the people we're gonna see that he heals and brings back to life later. He's got a plan to fulfill this sacrificial system needed that because you have turned away from the life giver, there is a cost of death. That because of your rebellion against the king over all creation and all the universe, there is a penalty of blood being spilled. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? But so that you would know, Jesus says, so that you know, so that you see the proof that I have the authority. In fact, he says that the son of man has authority. Remember we talked about that last week? Jesus is the son of God, and he loves to call himself the son of man. He is both fully, completely identifying with humanity and being the human that we were supposed to be so that in his power, we could start becoming those humans too. So the son of God chooses to call himself all throughout scripture, the son of man, so that you know that this son of man, the true human, your Old Testament has been telling you at this time, your scriptures have been telling you to be looking for the, the tiny little root of Israel, the remnant of Israel. It's going to get dwindled down. No one's going to be faithful to God, but God has promised through his prophets that there would be one remnant of Israel who would actually live and fulfill all the things God has called humans to do. And in that one, all the rest of us would be able to follow suit. That's what these Pharisees would have known in their law that they had been studying and in the scriptures they studied. And Jesus saying, I am the son of man. I am the true humanity. I am that one you've been looking for. And so that you know that I have this authority to forgive sins, I will show you that the symptom of that sin now will be undone. Man, get up and walk. It's pretty amazing. Powerful. Immediately, we're told, immediately in verse 25, he gets up before them, he picks up what he had been lying on, 
and goes home glorifying God. The, pro- the result of that, the production of that, is this man gives glory to God. And not only him, and then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. If, if you're sitting here and you have been healed by God in some way, I don't just mean a physical healing, okay? I mean like he has said to you what he said to this man, your sins are forgiven. That's a true healing that has started. And slowly the symptoms of those sins will be undone too. Give it time. He's a patient, steadfast God. It will happen one day in glory when he returns. But he has looked at you and said, your sins are forgiven. Have you gotten up and, and taken your proof of that and gone out glorifying God so that people would see, so that they would be in awe? Like that's, the, that's what we're seeing here. That's the result of this. This man doesn't just get up, take his mat and go, cool. I'm gonna go hang out with some friends now. You know, like just go about life as normal. Like it produced something in him. It changed him. And people saw, if you would have seen this man walking around with his mat, with his stretcher, you would have known, oh, wait a second. This man used to not be able to walk. And now he's walking. Sir, tell me what happened. I met this guy named Jesus. Do you know what he said? He forgave me of all my sins. And then he proved that he could do that by healing me. He just said, get up and walk. And all of a sudden, I could feel it in my legs again. And I could get up and I could walk. And people are hearing this guy's story. And they're starting to give glory to God now. They didn't see yet the cost that would have to be paid for that statement to be true. Friend, your sins are forgiven. Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. Probably to say your sins are forgiven, but which is easier to do? Remember, it's a symptom. You could slap a Band-Aid on something, that's great, but to actually address what's going on underneath, to deal with that, to, to find the sacrifice that would cover all of these sins once and for all, which was easier to do. Jesus had to live a perfect life. He, he was God himself who came born as a little, fragile, infant baby. Helpless. As helpless as this man who was carried in by a stretcher. He couldn't walk when he entered into this world. He couldn't feed himself. Jesus made himself like those of us who are broken and weak and fragile. And then he lives 30 years. Listen, 30 years pass from when we read in Luke of Jesus being born to all of a sudden he goes and gets baptized. 30 years, we don't know much at all of what goes on because Jesus is just living as a human. And he's working and he's learning and he's eating. He's being a human, but he's, he's being the true human that we were all meant to be. The sacrifice wasn't just the cross. The gospel is not just the cross moment. The gospel is Jesus being that true, perfect humanity, the son of man that we were all intended to be, and then, and then, being carried himself 
on the cross, taking that sacrificial system upon himself, being the sacrifice for all of us, so that when he says your sins are forgiven, he backs it up. He truly means it. It's real. And just like he miraculously told this man to get up and walk, three days after he died, you know, three days was the time frame they said, then we know this person's really dead in that time because they didn't have a stethoscope to listen to a heartbeat. They knew like, no, this person's not just sick. They're dead, dead. Three days later, Jesus gets up and walks himself. And the power of the spirit, and he walks out of the tomb, and he's still in that same body that he was born into this world. You know that? The tomb's empty. His spirit didn't just rise up. We're not all just waiting one day for our spirits to rise up out of these bodies. No, one day he's going to heal these bodies, just like he healed that man's, just like he healed his own body, out of the grave, and we will walk with him. That's good news. We will be the true humanity we're supposed to be if you are in Jesus. And so, friends, if your sins are forgiven, have you taken up your story of brokenness and your story of healing and gone out praising God? Are people seeing and hearing about that good news? Your story that points to his story, that he is the sacrifice we all needed, and that you are not only forgiven, but you're also healed. That's what we're called to do now as God's people. Pray with me that in the power of the Spirit, we could do that.